Good morning, everybody. How are you doing out there? Good. It's wonderful having you here on this beautiful summer day. I'm going to start the message today with a survey. How many of you want to be loved? That's what I figured. How many of you don't want to be loved? Okay, we'll have a counselor in back for, the re for you guys uh, on the rest of that. And so John, in his letter, is talking to us today in John chapter 3, verse 11 through 18 about love. And we want to look at three reasons why Christians should be loving people. We'll talk about how it happens. We'll talk about how God enables you to be that kind of loving person. Last week, Pastor Bob spoke to us about verses that we're talking about another characteristic of genuine Christians, and that is, is that genuine Christians want to do what's right. Because it's the right thing to do, right? You want to do what's right. And that you could call the moral test, the ethical test. Today's passage is the relational test. It's the test of love. Are you a Christian who loves like Jesus loves? And we're going to see three reasons why you should love that way. So let's get going after it, shall we? First reason is a consistent message. God has always been faithful and he's always been consistent and constant in his message that what he's about is relationships and he is the one who defines what healthy love really is. Now, let's think of it in other terms. Let's think about it in terms of business or those of you who want to be employed. How do you represent yourself to an employer on, on those pieces of paper as you mail in your application? Well, mail it in, what am I saying? As you email it in, and it goes in, and people look at that and go, is that, this, is that what this person's really about? When you put yourself on Facebook, is that the real you? Or is that partly you and partly what you wish you were? Gals, when you date a guy, and after you've dated him for a while, and he sounds like a really nice guy, he seems to be patient, he treats you with courtesy, he shows respect toward you, and then you start to see a different side of him, and you start to hear from people that know this guy that he's not always what he's told you he is, you don't stay there, do you? Because you realize that consistency of message is important to you and your quality of life. And so God wants you to know that his message is always the same, is that he's not only the God of love, but he's the God that wants to show us how to love and be healthy in that love relationship. In 1 John 3.11, it says this, For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. That word love isn't just a statement of love once, and then you've, okay, you've done well. But it's a continuing activity. It's calling you to a lifestyle of being a person who loves other people well. 
Here's what it says in 1 John 2, 24 and 25. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And this is what he promised us. Say it with me. Eternal life. So this constant message that he's talking about in this epistle is the message of salvation through Christ that gives you the hope of eternal life so that you can be confident that you're going to spend eternity with God. But guess what? Eternity, when you trust Jesus as your Savior, starts right here and now. And so this is really the training field where we're learning a lot about this love and a consistent message where God challenges us to be part of the family of believers and to love one another. And when the world sees that, they take notice because they sense that there's a quality about this congregation that makes them want to come back. Let me tell you a, a true story about someone who came to this church came for a while and they said to me one day, boy, I just love coming to your church. I said, well, what do you like about it? She said, I love coming here to this church because when I come in here, I sense the peace and the love. The atmosphere is great in here. When I go to work during the week, it's all politics. There's backbiting. She says, I come here to fill up my engine. You see, God's kind of love in the family of believers is persuasive. People sense it when they come here, and they like it. They feel it. They sense it. It's a good feeling. This is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That tells me that this love we're talking about in the Bible isn't exactly the same as the many definitions of love that you've heard out there on the street. How do you define love? This passage tells us that God loved us when? First. It's preemptive love. He chose to love us before we ever desired to have a relationship with Him. That's what agape love is like. It takes the initiative. Because relationship is valuable. This agape love is also redemptive. Scripture says this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, I'm going to talk about that verse later, but just pointing out here that what Jesus did for us was to die for our sins so that they would be paid for, and we wouldn't have to pay for them. He took care of it. And so it's redemptive because he's trying to bring us into a relationship with him at his own initiative. And then a third characteristic of this agape love is that it's comprehensive. And you want to be loved that way, don't you? You don't want someone to just love you part of the time or kind of love you. You want to be truly loved and it's comprehensive. But notice where this love comes from. It starts in us. It says, but if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made what? Complete. Complete. In them. This is how we know we are in him, that you have that relationship with Jesus. And so through a relationship with him, what happens is he starts to pour into your life a sense of being loved. Now, I could really challenge you here, and I... Don't raise your hands, but I will do another survey, a silent survey. Do you feel loved by God? 
Are you aware and know deep in your heart and in your mind that you are loved by God? When you start to open up your heart to God filling up your life with his love, you become a pipeline. You become a comprehensive pipeline. What I mean by that is, is that when people aren't loving toward you, you can still love them. When people are nice to you, you still love them. You see, one of, I noticed this about the world's definition of love. It's always got strings attached. Have you noticed that? Uh, they say, I'll love you if you love me first. Or if you do this for me, then, then I will love you back. All those strings attached that come with worldly definitions of love, but you see, this agape love is comprehensive, and it's not based on whether someone else is meeting your needs. It's based on your personal pipeline relationship with God. And that makes it comprehensive in every area of your life. So that's what this love is all about. John wants to warn us, though, next verse, don't be like Cain. Now, you got to realize Cain was a religious guy. He came from a religious family, Adam and Eve. His parents walked with God. They also made a bad choice, some bad choices. And that just kind of trickled down to the kids, Cain and Abel. And so we read about Cain, who belonged to the evil one. It doesn't mean he was demon-possessed, guys. Another translation says, of the evil one. What it's saying is, is that he had the same philosophy as the devil. He bought into Satan's game plan for life. And what did he do? He murdered his brother. Wow. Isn't that amazing? that so quickly the human race got into this destructive pattern of destroying relationships. And why did he murder him, the Bible asks? Great question, isn't it? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Part of why it says this is because this epistle is written to a church that's dealing with some people that had wrong philosophy. They had a philosophy that said, hey, in your body, you basically can do whatever you want because your soul is separate from your body. Therefore, do what you want in your body, but your soul is okay. You're safe. You're getting into heaven, that sort of thing. And John is saying, now wait, wait, stop, guys. God is coherent. He's a God that says that what you do is a product of who you are. He's saying that Cain's actions were a product of his evil intent. Don't go there. And yet Cain went there. And I asked myself, is there more to this? Is there more to this story? And so we went back and we go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 3 through 5. And it says this about the history behind it, that in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. You see, this guy was more into the farming lifestyle. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Okay, he was a rancher. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, what's, what is that? 
you have to realize that there's a history here. Cain and Abel knew what the proper form of worship was for imperfect human beings. Because when their parents had messed up in the garden, God provided something for them when they became self-conscious, self-aware, shamed, and embarrassed. And what did God provide for them? He provided for them coverings of skin. In other words, there was a sacrifice of some animal that had to take place for God to cover them in that state. And Cain and Abel were quite aware of that, being their children. And so the history and God's example to their very parents was, here is how you worship me. But Cain decided, I'm going to do it different. He was the rebel. He decided, I'm going to get God to accept me on my terms. I'm going to tell God what to do. And so he makes this offering. God doesn't accept it. He accepts Abel's because Abel's consistent with the history of the offerings that God had provided. And so Cain was very what? The last sentence. Cain was very angry. And you know, every parent's seen it when they've corrected their child and that child's head went down. They were disappointed. Maybe they were angry. They were frustrated. But this anger in his face going down tells us that Cain's issue was not about worship. It was about acceptance. Cain had a deep-seated need for acceptance and he was trying to get God to accept him on his own terms. And when he doesn't get the acceptance he wants, his head goes down, his anger goes up, and his relationship with God, well, you can see where it's headed. It's headed nowhere. Can I ask you this? Do you find yourself struggling with self-acceptance? Do you have a hard time feeling worthy? Do you feel unloved? Are you searching? Are you desperate for someone to affirm you, to make you feel like you are valuable? Many people in our country feel that way. Don't feel like you're alone. And you could be just like Cain, is that you struggle with some deep-seated emotions in here and on the outside, it shows up maybe in a downcast look, maybe in that face that just shows just you're searching for love. And God has a consistent message for you. He is a loving God, and he offers you his love, his acceptance, if you will come to him on his terms. And we'll look at what that is. But this is the real kind of love. And then there's another reason why we can love this way, the agape way, is because God has given us a new loving nature. I'd like to tell you about that new loving nature. I've seen it in some people's lives around here, and it's just incredible. They're helpful, they're caring. They take time out for other people. 
They're unbelievable givers. I know one lady in this congregation that's just got a listening ear and she will just listen to you for hours and she just loves people. It's amazing. I know another guy, all he, all he has to do is hear of a need and he goes and meets it. I know of another person in the last two years that's moved at least 40 people in this church and community by himself. He's moved them. I've seen incredible love in this congregation. But we all know that there's room for growth because each one of us is at a different place in a continuum of being a loving person. Now, John warns us, first of all, in verse 13, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world doesn't like you. The word is hate. Hate here is used of a strong emotional reaction that despises and disregards people. In youth terminology, making other people feel dissed. Disregarded, dishonored. This is when you have that experience inside you, when your emotion takes control, maybe these strong emotions like anger or hatred, and it causes you to have maybe some thoughts that you're embarrassed about. Have you ever had a thought that you wish someone would die just so you didn't have to deal with them in life? Have you ever had an imagination of knocking somebody off? I know it's heavy stuff, isn't it? It's amazing that Scripture actually deals with this topic. This is one of the most common debated words today. When I listen to news and radio and television, I hear a discussion a lot about this topic called hatred. And it's all about when you look at another person and say, they don't matter. That's the ultimate form of hatred. Saying people don't matter. They don't, they don't count. You don't value them. And so he says, don't be surprised if the world doesn't share your same value system of loving the way you love, the agape way. They don't understand it. They haven't experienced it. That's why they define it differently, different definitions of love, different motivations for love, and different ways of expressing it. They're in different worlds when it comes to love. But you have received something different, John says. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other, and anyone who does not love remains in death. And so, like Pastor Bob pointed out last week in the previous passage, you've received this new seed from God, this Holy Spirit that takes the Word of God and starts to make it real to you, and then you start to live it in your everyday life, and people start to experiencing you being an agape Christian, a loving Christian, because you have passed out of a former state of living into a new way of loving people. I had a roommate in college that was an amazing guy. He would always come home from the library at about 10 o'clock at night, and he was all wound up because he was in love with God and he would want to talk about it. And we had bunks there at college, and so we shared this room, and I was on the bottom bunk, and I always knew when he came home because, you know, he is on the top. And it would wake me up. And I remember him always coming home wanting to talk about God, and his most common topic was he was just amazed with this love of God. Now, he finished school. We all graduated from 
from this Bible college and we went off to our various professions and I ended up in the pastorate. He ended up in teaching in public school. And a couple, well, I have to tell you that one time he came home or came there to the room early and his arm was all torn up. It was all bloody. Uh, his side down his leg, his had shorts on. They were ripped and it's all bloody. I said, dude, what do you do with your skin? And he said, I was in a biking accident today. A car hit me and I uh, hit the pavement. And I said to him, I said, brother, you got to be careful on your bike. You're going to get killed out there. And two years ago, he did. And I went to his memorial service. And at that one memorial service, I think there must have been 12, 1,500 people, most of them his students, students from his high school. And it was just amazing to look out at that massive crowd of people and realize that he had gone on from Bible college to impact all of these people's lives. I'd never seen that many people ever at a service. And you know what his favorite phrase was at school? He would tell students, I love you in a positive way. And he went on to share this love of Christ and impact all these lives. You see, that's what happens when God's at work. And this happens, a new command I give you, said Jesus, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, who will know that you're my disciples? Everyone. Everyone. And so the world needs to see that the church is truly a place where people love each other. So that when they come in here and they don't know Jesus yet and they're checking him out, they can sense the love of God. They will see the love of God. And I encourage you, just a couple weeks ago, I saw a gal out there crying in the lobby, and I thought, oh, I hope someone ministers to that lady. And just within seconds, a lady went up to her and gave her a huge hug. It's called the love of God. It can be so simple and so practical. And everyone will know that you're Jesus' disciples because, you see, that's the banner of Christianity, is that God loves relationship with people, and he invites you into that relationship. Paul said later in the Bible, for in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. You see, those are just external things, religious rituals. The only thing that counts is this faith expressing itself through love. That this faith in Jesus makes you a pipeline where his love for you makes you so secure and full that you just have to start, you just have to get down with people and start sharing it. Right? Have you, have you had that experience? Like my roommate from college, and he goes out into the world and he impacts people. I go to this one place to shop because of this one customer service rep who is always so positive. I walk out the door. He checks off my little receipt that I've got everything I'm supposed to and <laughs> nothing else. And he always says something positive to me. And I said to him once, hey, I, I like your cross. He said, well, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. I said, you too. And I could just tell from his smile and his joy, his effervescence, that he was just sharing the love of God with people in his own little simple way. 
That's what this agape love is all about. Expressing it to people so that it's real and it's real life and it's making a difference. It's not something you manufacture. It's something the Holy Spirit puts in you and through you. Have you asked the Holy Spirit to help you become a more loving Christian, an agape loving Christian? Well, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, the Bible says, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Because you see, what the Bible points out here is that murder isn't just physical and literal. It can be an attitude of hate where you disregard people. And that was Cain's problem earlier, remember? That Cain basically just disregarded his brother's life, knocked him off for no good reason, and how did that make his life any better? Now his very brother that could have loved him is gone. And you see, that's the problem with hatred. That's the problem with a lot of negative emotion in our relationships. It's driving people away. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants people to be attracted to the beauty. But here we see that term anger come up once more when Jesus talked about anger. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is calling us to be less legalistic and more heart. To deal with the issues of the heart and the emotions that oftentimes destroy relationship. If we're going to love people, we have to be honest that we've got stuff to work on as well. A third reason why we can love this way is because God wants to give us a healthy, whole heart. You can love person partly. You can love people at times. You can love people at ways, in ways. But what this passage is calling us to is a healthy heart that is consistently loving people. And so we read in verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to do what? Lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, Jesus gave his very life, and so that would be the ultimate over here. But let's go over here, okay? Let's start over here. So there can be a thousand things that you do between here and there. First of all, you choose to love the agape way. Maybe the next step for you would be saying, I'm going to choose to love people in my life that they don't love me, and it's not easy, but I'm going to try to love them back anyway. Okay? And then maybe the next step's going to be, I'm going to listen to my parents. I'm going to listen to my children and not make quick judgments anymore. I'm going to start listening really careful so I understand what they're going through, what they're feeling, and why they did what they did. Maybe the next step for you is going to be, I'm going to refuse to get angry. I'm going to keep my emotions in check. And so you have a thousand opportunities 
to be able to show this laying down of your life so that other people can see the love of God flow in you, through you, to them. Ought is an obligation. And we need to say that this agape love is needed in our world. It's not just an option. It's an obligation. If we are to change our world for Christ, if we are to see this world become a better place, it's got to be the agape kind of love that's going to do it. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. But whoever has the world's good, John says, and then underline the word sees. This is the first thing. Sees his brother in need, underline the word need, and then closes his heart. Now wait, what's the disconnect there? Close your heart. Okay, you have the world's good. You see a need. There's a real need. It's assumed as legitimate. And then you close your heart against it, meeting it, helping, contributing, doing something about it. You see, that's half-hearted. That's half-hearted. And a lot of times that's the world's kind of love, is to love conditionally when I feel like it, when I want to, but if it costs me something, no. But you see, agape love says, if it costs me something, okay. Relationship is more valuable. And so the barrier, the scripture says, is a heart that's closed toward serving and ministering to people. We don't want to have a closed heart. We want one that's open. That's why John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So it's not just the New Year's resolution. I'm going to be a more loving person. I'm going to be nicer. God's looking for something different than that. He's looking for someone who's not just going to say nice things, yeah, I care about you, I appreciate you, you're a good person. But it's actually doing something practical to love people. And there are many opportunities to do that. I asked uh, a number of people in our church this week, what makes you feel loved at Gateway? I, I got a bunch of answers, but one of them really intrigued me. One of the answers was this. The person said, what makes me feel loved at Gateway and this person thought about it for about 10 seconds before they gave me this answer. They said, what makes me feel loved at Gateway is people who love and have cohesion in their life. And I thought about that. Wow. That's right. It's not just their loving people but it shows up in every area of their life. It's like this love is a natural part of who they are. And as you watch this next video, I want you to think about the things we've talked about. Agape love being sacrifice. Agape love reaching out to people. Listen closely.
uh, Grover's a very single-minded person. And when, uh, when something gets in his crosshairs, it's, it's just going to be done. 24 hours in a day has never been enough for Grover. I know he spends hours and hours at his job, but when he's home on the weekends and at night, he is, he's always been with his family. My dragon's very kind. Oh, All right, here we have Graham and Joy. Grover was driving home from church one day and saw several uh, men standing around their church out in the yard. Church was over, and he went to see what they were looking at because obviously they had a problem, and um, they told him that an air conditioner had been stolen. I told the wall I made up. The whole wall was down. Grover's heart is much bigger than his checkbook, but he's not let that stop him or to hold him back. And that's how Grover met Ulysses for the first time. Ulysses Parker is a praying man. He will pray until God will come through. <laughs> he always have that smile. He he loved to hug you now, I tell you. And uh, he just just a good man. If he can help you, he will help you. He's liked about everybody. Everybody likes him. Grover found out that Ulysses was doing his best to support his family and to provide for his family, but was struggling to do so. And he just always came and visited us, and he helps out whatever we needed. He became almost a part of their family, and uh, his part of theirs. Uh, the Parkers loved uh, Grove's children, and uh, the kids would go over with Grover, and they would play with the puppies and, uh, and just uh, have a great time. And it was, a, it was a ministry of his really served in silence. He didn't talk to very many people about it. He had voiced concern about the home they lived in. Should have been condemned, and it was falling down, and been on fire three or four times. They've just had another fire, and thank God they were at church instead of asleep because they would all be dead right now. And I, I have got to do something. They are going to die, and I'm going to be the one who knew that it needed to be fixed. Jill and Graham and Joy had gone to baseball practice, and after the baseball practice, they were on their way home. We. Uh, Saw a big commotion on the left side of the road and uh, ambulance, police car, van. Joy needed to stop. So Jill pulled the van over. And even though they had pulled well off the road into a nice grassy, shady spot, no one ever knows why, but little Joy ran right straight into the highway. And uh, we got a call at my house saying that uh, Joy had been hit by a car. It was a hit-and-run accident. I think her name, being Joy, I think God named her. Her name was who she was. Uh, she was a one of those precious little children. She was, was beautiful to look at. Uh, she had gorgeous hair. and and a cute smile, and of course she was just one of those uh, impish little children that was just fun to see and be around. She loved her daddy, and she filled a void in Grover's life that, that he had never known existed, 
and any father that's had a little girl knows what that's like. Grover got a call, and it was one of the detectives, and he said, Grover, we know who did it. And the detective said, Mr. Norwood, it was Ulysses Parker. His reaction was not in anger or questioning. His immediate reaction was, well, we've got to get over there. Well, we've got to put our arms around that man. And we went to Mr. Parker's house and we went in and we prayed. We held hands in the kitchen and prayed. Uh, Grove went over and uh, bought clothes for them to wear to the funeral. He just did incredible things. I didn't understand it at first and I just um, still don't know I don't, that I would ever be able to be that forgiving. I mean, I don't know how anybody, that's just incredible to me. He was really good. They had the funeral and everything. And his brother and his family, they came and built us up and took us to the funeral. And it was, it was not, you know, and we just still loved him. And he still loved us. The craziest thing to me about that day was that Grove insisted when they pulled up in the cars and the tent was there, the casket was already laying on the, on the stand over the gravesite. He insisted that Jill be on one side of him with Graham and that Mr. Parker be seated on the front row next to him. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. But we thought it was done. Uh, that, that's the thing. He had to go to court and everything. So Mr. Noah said, I'll fix everything. I won't let you go to jail. He went before the grand jury in the county and pled with the grand jury uh, not to indict Mr. Parker. The law enforcement community, uh, they were going, I, I can't believe this. You know, well, why would he drop these charges? It, uh, it was a, it was a, it was an occasion to, uh, to celebrate God's grace. It, it wasn't long when Grover then came to the men of the church and I know he had floated the idea by Larry Smith and a couple other people that were close to him. I think even our pastor at the time and myself, he, he just said, I think God wants us to build the Parkers a house. The thing that made the difference was... Uh, Larry said, I will help you. Let's do it. It was something that was on his heart for a, for a long time. I said, well, we just can't accept this because you've been too good to, he said, well, the Lord said, build your house. There were probably, probably as many as 100 men involved at one time or another. It was a neat thing, even though it was cold and it was wet. That home, when it was completed, required nothing. There was nothing to be brought from the old house. And then we all formed a circle around the new house and prayed, uh, prayed over it. Children, adults, black, white, Hispanic, 
And we literally encircled the house and held hands and prayed over that house. The means that did this, not to glorify themselves, but to glorify God. That's what I like about that. It, it wasn't a self-exalting, it was only God. They did it to, to please God, not to please man, but to please God. When I have the opportunity to tell people this story, they're amazed, and many people are like, you're making it up, this can't be true. But I've seen it with my own two eyes and lived it. I will sing of your mercy that leads me through valleys of sorrow to rivers of joy. I saw the invisible God became visible in this time. That's what I saw. God put all the pieces together. It wasn't, it wasn't so much Grove. Grove was the, the vessel, and God was in charge. I mean, that's just the best way that I can describe it. He never took an, an ounce of credit, still doesn't take an ounce of credit for what God's done. Say that family, reach out took another family in their arms and did what they did for them. You can't that, that, that. Sing your mercy. Mercy. Your mercy. And maybe you don't understand that kind of love. You don't have to understand it to want it and to give it. Would you just take a moment to pray and ask God to open your heart up to be that kind of believer who loves people? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. Help us to love with agape love. Amen.